This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. This is the first of three series that I'm doing that I'm calling Living from the Inside Out. This is the first sub-series in that called You're Full of It. And we're t- we've been talking for the last three weeks. We've talked about how what is inside of our hearts eventually comes out, right? Comes out through our mouth, comes out through our actions, through our reactions. We can hide for a little while, but eventually that stuff's going to begin to spill out, right? And we will be squeezed in life. How many of you know that? The pressure will be on. The time will come. You may be in a place right now where it's just smooth sailing. Things are going to get tough again, right? The pressure will be on. And the question is, what's going to come out of you in that moment when that happens? Um, so you can follow along. Um, you can follow along on the uh, Uversion Bible app if you want to. We have the notes on there. We also had a, a note sheet in your service guide. You can follow along on that as well. But a quick recap. Um, uh, that's what we talked about week one. We talked about what's inside of us does come out. Week two, we talked about the human heart. By default, when we're born, the human heart is selfish, right? We don't teach our kids to do wrong. They do that by default. We teach them to do right. Isn't that correct? We don't teach them to be selfish. We teach them to be selfless. And we talked about how selfishness is a byproduct, a potential byproduct of free will. We have, if we have free will... Maybe free will to live righteously. We also have to have free will to live unrighteously, right? If, so we've got to look at that through, through the whole thing. We've got to realize that selfishness is just a, a potential byproduct of free will. And as human beings, our selfishness and our inability not to sin shows us how much we need a Savior. Isn't that true? We need Jesus. How many of you see that through your own mouth sometimes, through your own actions? You're like, man, I need Jesus. And then last week, I took it a step further, because we've been talking about the human heart, but, but now we want to talk about what it means to be a believer. What's it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so we're talking about because of our sin, because of our selfishness, God decided to do whatever it took to restore our spiritually dead spirits, our dead spirits, right? Unfortunately, he found nothing salvageable in man. So he decided, he looked at us, he found us that we were in a state of utter ruin because of sin, And so God would have to come. He would have to send Jesus to pay the ultimate price, that he would start over from scratch. He didn't try to give us a makeover. He didn't try to rebuild us. He started over from scratch, from the ground up, and it would cost the ultimate price to do that. Um, We talked about how if we're in Christ, then we make the choice to share in his death. Well, what is it that died? Our spirits, right? Right? Our spirits were spiritually dead. Our death was that of the old, that old spiritually dead nature, which was nailed to the cross with Jesus. It was buried with him, and he was raised up with the Father, and we too are raised up into the newness of life. This is what we call the new creation, right? We're a new creation. Because of Jesus, we're a new creation. He now lives through us. We talked about how the old things pass away. Well, what passed away? Our old life of pride, our love of sin, reliance on works, our former opinions, our habits, our passions, those things pass away. The things that we loved, which were basically self, self-ambition, self-righteousness, self-promotion, self-justification, those things pass away with the new creation. We look toward Christ. We begin looking outside of ourselves instead of always looking in inwardly. The things that we once loved, the new creation now detests. 
As a new creation, we love the things of God. We see the world differently. We love people to the point of self-sacrifice. The Bible comes alive, becomes a direction for our lives. Everything we do, we do as a worship. And I ended last week by talking about the sin nature was death. Because of, de- because of the sin, we were spiritually dead, correct? And last week I ended by saying, as a new creation, the sin nature is gone. And I want to expound on that for a minute. As we continue with this last message, this is kind of where we find ourselves as believers. We know we're born into this world spiritually dead. Most of us in here have received Christ and we've become a new creation. And I make a statement like the sin nature is gone. We're not bound to it anymore. And that's a struggle for us. And I think part of that is because many of us don't understand fully who we are and we don't understand what to do next. We're told that we're a new creation. We're told that we're no longer bound by the sin nature. However, many times we're still ruled by the flesh. Sometimes we can't believe the things that come out of our own mouths as followers of Jesus. Sometimes we're astounded by the bad decisions that we make. Sometimes we look at the way we reacted in a situation and we realize, man, I just blew my witness. How many of you have ever been there? We all have. We receive Jesus. We receive Christ. woo But we find that our old problems, our old addictions, our desires, our lusts, they're still there waiting on us. And this is where the battle is fought for believers. We can't possibly understand how the sin nature could be gone because we know how we jacked it up yesterday. I've heard people get upset at the thought that they were no longer bound by the sin nature. And I think part of the reason they get upset is because on one hand, we don't want to believe it. We need something to blame our failures on. Well, it's that old sin nature. It's that devil. The Bible says he's defeated. Right? And I think really it's just a lack of understanding. And I, I get it, as believers, many times we do things that we'd be embarrassed for our pastor to find out about, right? It's amazing how, uh, I think my dad talked one time, I remember one time going to get with him, getting a car fixed, and this woman sitting there smoking a cigarette and cursing, and he said something about being a pastor, and you saw her cigarette go down behind the desk, and her language cleared up real quickly, and oh yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, you know, it's like, it's amazing, How many of you have ever been consumed with guilt because you knew an area in your life wasn't pleasing to God? I remember as a teenager, as a young man, I remember trying to serve the Lord with all that I was, but I remember being consumed with guilt just simply because of the thoughts in my head and thinking, how could God possibly accept me? How can I possibly be saved? We beat ourselves up. And some people think they're not even saved. That's why you find people that run to the altar over and over again every Sunday. Over and over again, trying to get saved again, trying to get saved again. It's a lack of understanding. I think there's two issues here. I think number one, we buy into the lies of the accuser. The enemy's always there saying, you're not good enough. You're not living up to the standard. You're not Christ-like. Did you really make a decision? You didn't really surrender your life to Jesus. 
I think the other thing, like I said a minute ago, I think many times it's just a lack of understanding and knowing what the Bible says and who we are. So that's what I kind of want to finish this four weeks on. I want to finish by kind of answering the question, why am I still so selfish even though I receive Christ and I'm a new creation? How many of you would say that applies to you? It sure enough applies to me. And let me say as I go into this, I actually, um, I actually wrote these notes. I started getting this um, well, we on the way back from Texas, back uh, last week of July or something. And uh, I started writing. I, I wrote out 12 outlines for 12 messages, and this was the fourth one. And this is what I want to talk about this time. I thought, man, we need to, we need to get rid of the condemnation, the guilt, and, and Christians need to understand that just because we surrender our life to Jesus doesn't now mean that we're perfect. And so I was writing all this, and I was, I was discussing it with Shauna last week, actually. It was funny. And um, I, how many of you go to Thursday morning ladies' small group? I know there's quite a few in here. Huh? Wednesday. It's now on Wednesdays. See, I, I don't go, but it, is at my ha- but it is at my house. I don't know. Um, but Shauna came to me last week after ladies' small group last Wednesday. Miss Kim has been leading that group, and she started this new series uh, by Robert Morris uh, called um, The Believer's Battle, Right? Yes, lost and found. The first, first message was called The Believer's Battle. And after that first um, small group, they got together, Shauna came to me and goes, you need to listen to this message. Said it, it sounds just like what you were talking to me about. And I went through and listened to it again. And man, it was just like two of the points were almost word for word. I was like, awesome. So I listened to it and I, and I did end up incorporating some of that into it. I do recommend, if you want more information on this, to listen to Robert Morris. He's pastor at Gateway Church in Dallas. Um, and this message called, uh, this series called Lost and Found, the message is called The Believer's Battle. But I'm going to pull out a couple things he said in this that I thought really applied. But he, he kind of started, he was talking about the prodigal son. How many of you know the story of the prodigal son? We're not going to read all this. You know, something to realize about the prodigal son. You realize when he left father's house and he was in the pig pen eating the pig's food, you know what he still was? He was still a son. How many of you have ever been in the pig pen eating the pig's food before? Not literally, I hope, but you get what I'm saying. He was still a son. And the father was standing there with arms open wide waiting for him to come home, right? How many of you know that people can walk away, they can turn their backs on the Lord and still be a son, still be a daughter? People say, well, do you believe that somebody can lose their salvation? I believe that's more complex than a one-word answer. I think it's an injustice to give a one-word answer to that. That's a discussion. The Bible does talk about how somebody can reject their salvation. But I believe that's something that's very intentional uh, that they do. I do believe that once someone has surrendered their life to Christ, there is no work of the flesh. They can't do something to lose that salvation. Because our salvation wasn't based on works, right? Thus, we don't lose it by works, okay? I don't believe that you can be lost and then found and then lost and be found and be lost and be found. I don't believe you can be spiritually dead, new creation. Spiritually dead again, new creation. It, It doesn't work like that. Jesus died one time. If you as a new creation are spiritually dead again, Jesus would have to come and he would have to die again. 
Sorry, folks, I just don't think that's going to happen. Jesus died once to forgive our sin and make us a new creation. He's not going to come again. And here's the reality. We can be a prodigal in any area of our lives. We're probably all prodigals in some area of our lives. I want to look at that real quick in Luke chapter 15. And just, just a, three verses, 11 through 13. It says, then he said, this is Jesus speaking, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And we had, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Well, what does it mean to be prodigal? This is something Robert Morris talks about in this message. The word prodigal, the original word in the Greek, just simply means dissolute. Dissolute means lacking restraint. How many of us have areas in our lives where we lack restraint sometimes? Lacking restraint. Maybe it's controlling our emotions, our anger. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe we haven't hidden ongoing sin that we haven't dealt with. These are areas lacking restraint. This doesn't mean you lose your salvation. This means that like all of us, you have an area to work on, right? Have areas that needs improvement. These are the places where we're prodigal. These are places where we're not allowing God control. We're not allowing God access. We spend our whole lives working those things out, don't we? So what does this look like then? We've become this new creation. We're talking about what have we filled ourselves with. Well, we would say as a new creation, we're full of Jesus. But why do we still mess it up so often? Well, if you remember week one, we began talking for just a minute about spirit, soul, and body. I said we would expound on that a little later on. We know that we are a spirit, right? We have a soul, and we live in what? We live in a body. Genesis 2, 7 says that the Lord formed man from the dust. This is talking about the body, right? He created the body. It says he breathed the breath of life in him. This would be the spirit. And then it says man became a living soul. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. I think everybody can, can, can agree with that. So understanding that our spirit was made to relate to God. Our bodies were made to relate to creation, to the things we see around us, our physical world. So what about our souls? Our souls are right in the middle. Our souls were created to relate to God and creation. They bridged the gap in the middle. The soul brought it all together. And so we know that when Adam and Eve died, I'm sorry, when Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually, right? They, they didn't die physically in that moment. They died spiritually. So here you've got beings that are spirit, soul, and body in Adam and Eve, and all of a sudden they are spiritually dead. Well, that's where we find ourselves when we accept Christ. I mean, before we accept Christ. We are born into this world with a dead spirit. It comes alive, becomes a new creation. We accept Christ. So we, just like Adam and Eve, 
we're a dead spirit, a living soul, a living body. The soul is made up of three things. It's made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Isn't that correct? It's all about what you understand, how you feel about it, and what you want. Does that sound like life today? This is how, this is how before we receive Jesus, this is how we relate to God. You relate to God through your soul before you receive Christ. This is why you run into people today who don't believe in God, they don't follow God, because they'll say things like, well, I don't like the idea of serving a God that would send someone to hell. Well, they were relating to God through the soul. They started the whole thing with saying, I don't like, right? And unfortunately, what we think and what we feel is pretty irrelevant when it comes to the truth. But they're being controlled and led by the soul, the same way that Adam and Eve were, and the way we find ourselves from the moment we're born. The soul is in charge. Does this make sense? And this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is why the world is so selfish today. This is why everything is about me. This is why I have a right. I want this. I deserve this. Because people are being led by their soul, by their mind, their will, their emotions. So I'm going to give you three things, three facts about the soul. I think you've got blanks on your note sheet there. You can follow along. But three things I want to talk about about the soul. Because now we're a new creation. We've become spiritually alive. We're saved. But now we've got to deal with the soul. So what about the soul? Number one, the soul is selfish. The soul is selfish. The soul only cares about itself. It always protects number one. Nothing else matters. Our mind, our will, and emotion. It's about what we can reason and what we feel. What we do is based on our desires. That's the soul. How many of you know the soul has logged and recorded everything that you've ever done? Your mind. The mind's the most incredible computer ever made, right? Nothing, no supercomputer on earth that was ever been made by man begins to compare to the human brain. Any doctor will tell you that. It is, have, you ever, have you ever been in a moment and somebody says something, it reminds you of something, of a story, of something that happened in your life that you would have never, ever remembered again, but suddenly it came back up to the surface. It was there. We just start getting a lot there, and it's hard to recall things sometimes, Right? Our mind records everything that happens in life. So maybe you have a hard time trusting people. This is because your soul, because your mind remembers things that it experienced in the past. And it remembers when it was hurt. And so now it has a hard time trusting, right? It all comes from your soul. Your spirit says things like, lay down your life. But your soul says, no, protect number one. This is why sometimes we respond to situations with anger, with fear, with insecurities. How many of you have ever met somebody and immediately didn't like them? They didn't do anything wrong. They just immediately rubbed you wrong. You're like, hmm. Right? They may not have done anything wrong, but your mind remembers. It remembers a moment where you met somebody like that. 
and they hurt your feelings. Right? Or they demeaned you. They did something that affected you in such a way that something about you, and you, this may not even be conscious, but something about this person reminds you. You bring something up to the surface in your mind, in your soul, and you just immediately, you just don't know about them. Right? This is also how strongholds work in our lives. This is also how lust works in our lives. This is why believers can end up being prodigals and living in a pig pen. Because we're living from our soul. The spirit is saved. Remember last week we talked for a few minutes about the finished work of grace? That's our soul. I mean, I'm sorry, our spirit. Praise God. It's saved. It's made a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. But then we've got our soul. The finished work of grace doesn't apply to the soul. When it comes to the soul, we talk about the progressive work of grace. And here's the thing. How many of you know there are always extremes? Some people preach grace in such a way that it almost promotes unrighteous living. And that is wrong. It's wrong. People say, don't judge me. By grace, I've been forgiven past, present, and future. Yes, but you just made it into an excuse to do what you want to do that's contrary to the word of God. Other people preach legalism, which doesn't do anything but put you in more bondage. We don't understand the finished work of grace in our spirit and the progressive work of grace in our souls. The battle that that believers experience is the battle for the soul. Your soul is selfish and it needs to be renewed. Amen? Let's look real quick. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 35 through 39. says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. How many of you need endurance? So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while... For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back to perdition. Other versions talk about this and say we are not like those who turn away from God toward destruction. But we are, we are of those who believe, those who are faithful to the saving of their soul. Right? Well, if we look at that there, it says, believe to the saving of your soul. The word save there simply means to be made whole. How many of you would say that your soul still needs some work to be made whole? And understand here that it's talking about the soul, not the spirit. In other words, when it talks about not drawing back to perdition, it says not turning away from God toward destruction, but believing to the saving of your soul. This is talking about the prodigal. Was he living a life of destruction? Yeah, he was. He was living a life of destruction. He was sitting there with the pigs in the mud, eating the pig food. Because of his soul, he was still a son. How many of you know that you can't do anything to earn your way to heaven? If you believe that, which many people do, 
I mean, just ask somebody. If you walk up to anybody and ask them, are you a Christian? It's, uh, the statistic is like 85% of Americans or something will say, yeah. And you'll say, why? Oh, because uh, I, I go to church. I, I, was, I was baptized when I was six. I'm a good person. Uh, I, I, I give money to the poor. and It's all works. It's all works. It's good stuff, but it's all works. Doesn't get us into heaven, right? If we believe that it's works that saves us, then we're, all, then we're dealing with legalism. And here's the thing. When it comes to that, we will have a perfectionism, a judgmentalism, and we will always criticize people who don't live up to our standard. I hope God didn't criticize us because I know I'm certainly not living up to his standard. Our soul needs to be saved, not for eternity, for right now. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a pig pen. And we've all been there. Our soul is selfish. The soul is our problem. We weren't intended to live this way with our soul in charge. As a believer, our spirit is now alive, and our spirit is supposed to be in charge, not our soul. And that's our problem. That's our battle. Number two, the soul must submit to the spirit. The soul must submit to the spirit. I think that's Robert Morris's words. I originally put down, your, soul must trump, your spirit must trump your soul. The spirit has to be in charge. You know why the sin nature even existed? Because the spirit was dead and the soul was in charge. The soul only cares about self. The soul was never meant to be in charge of the human being. That's what messed up humanity. The soul was meant to, the spirit was meant to keep the soul in check. But from Adam and Eve on, the spirit was dead, right? So it was onward. And it was totally selfish, all of humanity. The spirit is alive in Christ, and the spirit doesn't have a sin nature. So you get saved, and your spirit says, I'm alive and I'm in charge. And the soul says, I don't think so. Right? The soul is like somebody who's set in their ways and refuses to change. How many of you would say your soul is like that sometimes? Your soul knows what it needs to do, but it just doesn't want to get in line. Will you respond to Jesus from your spirit or you respond from your soul? Well, here's what we have to do. We have to feed our spirit. Our spirit has to grow up. Our spirit has to get stronger and stronger until that it is ruling every area of our life. In the physical, to lose weight, we watch what we consume, we watch what we eat, and we get some exercise, right? Same thing applies to the spirit. Problem is, as Christians, we tend to continually fill ourselves with junk that makes our soul stronger and stronger, makes the lusts of the flesh stronger and stronger, and the spirit sits in the background screaming, no, don't do that. Trying to get our attention. But we keep feeding the soul. We keep feeding the soul. Keep feeding the soul. We allow ourselves to get angry about stuff that may or may not even be true. We fill ourselves with junk. What we read on the internet, it's got to be true, right? 
How many of us actually spend more time reading the word than we do reading the internet? Not many believers anymore. And let me tell you, internet's full of junk. I actually, <laughs> I don't know if you've realized it yet or not, it's not somebody in this church, but I actually defriended somebody, a minister friend on Facebook the other day, always putting up stuff that he probably felt was righteous. But it was always stirring up the pot. It was always out of a kind of an anger. And over half the time, I found that it wasn't true. It was these fault. talk about fake news, seriously. One of these things that, you know, is totally false. Over and over and over and over again, a Christian minister always putting this stuff up just to stir things up. I'm not filling myself with that junk. I'm not going to do it. How much time do we spend in God's word? Are you feeding your spirit or your soul? Everything we watch, everything we participate in, everything we hear is feeding our spirit or our soul. Which one are you making stronger? We fill ourselves with junk and we find ourselves more concerned with being right than being righteous. We find ourselves more concerned with being fashionable than being faithful. We find ourselves more concerned with man's approval than God's approval. Because we keep filling ourselves up with junk. Because we keep feeding our soul and absolutely neglecting our spirit. The battle is between the spirit and the soul. Which will you strengthen? Because that will determine what comes out of you. Psalm 131 verse 2 says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is something Robert Morris mentioned I thought was really good. I'd never considered. Why does a baby throw a fit when it's being weaned? It's all it's ever known, right? This is its main food source. As far as it knows, you're trying to kill it. <laughs> so it's going to scream when you take it away. <laughs> right? Well, Psalm 131 equates our soul to a child being weaned. And it says that we have to quiet our soul. Our soul is screaming. Why? Because that's what it does when it doesn't get its way. It's, it's led by its lusts and its desires. You're taking away the only food source it's ever known. Junk. As far as it knows, you're trying to kill it. And in the case of the soul, that's correct. Which is number three, the soul must die. Number three, the soul must die. Folks, we have to die to self. You know, actually, they believe that when, Jesus, when, when it said that I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ is in me, they believe there it's actually talking about the soul. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul, this is what we think, and spirit, which is what God thinks. And of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
Remember I was talking about what's in the heart comes out? How do you know when we stand before God, we don't have to wait for the things within us to come out. We can't hide. We stand naked and open before God. There is not one little thing that can be hidden. And actually, you know, it talks about the word being a sword. Something um, that Robert Morris mentioned when he talks about the word open there. Naked and open to the eyes of him. Open is the Greek word trachelitos. Trache means throat. Likos means Litos means to bend back the neck of a victim to be slain. How many of you know God has plans for our soul? He wants to bend back the neck and slay it. (laughs) Because it tries to take charge when the spirit is supposed to be in charge. This is why believers go astray. We don't like the sword coming in and dividing between soul and spirit. Our flesh doesn't like it. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, and the word life here actually means soul. Whoever would save his soul would lose it. Whoever loses his soul for my sake will find it. You know, people say, well, Jesus went to the cross so I wouldn't have to. You know that's actually not accurate. Go back. Look back up here. If anyone would come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Did you know that you have a cross? You have a cross. Luke 9.23 says, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. This is one of those, remember remember the series I was talking about if-then statements? This is another one of those if-then statements. If you deny yourself and take up your cross daily, then you can follow Jesus. Isn't that what it says? Isn't that what it says? That's what's required of us as believers, that we lead our soul on the road to execution, carrying its cross every day, the spirit in charge, allowing Jesus to live through us, not our flesh, not our desires, but him, right? Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said, I die daily. This isn't a one-time thing. It's not something we pray in the moment when we receive Christ. God, I'll follow you. Bam, done. No, daily we carry our cross. Daily we deny ourselves. Daily we execute our soul and we allow our spirit to lead us. People say, well, I just want to pray a prayer once and accept Jesus. Guys, that's not what it means to follow him. Y'all have heard me say it a thousand times, salvation's not a prayer. The Bible tells us present your bodies as a living sacrifice because that is our reasonable service in response to what he's done. We're told don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Which is your soul, right? Why would a believer make the choice to go live in the pig pen? But we've all done it from time to time. We do it because we're not in the Word. 
We do it because we're not spending time with them in prayer. We do it because we're not surrounding ourselves with believers and godly examples that are going to build us up and propel us forward. Instead, we build up our soul by filling ourselves with junk. They tell us the average American watches like seven hours of television a day. Filling ourselves with junk. And we wonder why as believers there's things coming out of us that are coming out. It's because we're full of the wrong stuff. Don't be a prodigal. Make the decision. Are you going to allow God, his word, to come as a sword and separate to the vision of soul and spirit? Are you going to allow your soul, your spirit, to be in charge? What are you feeding in your life? What are you full of? You're full of something. And those around you know real quickly what you're full of. Because it comes out no matter how much you hide. Our souls were never meant to be in charge. We got to surrender to Jesus. We got to allow our new creation to lead and guide our lives. Amen? Let me get the worship team to come up. And I want everybody to just stay seated for a moment. As they come up and start playing, let's, let's, just, let's just close our eyes and bow our heads. Let's, let's focus and meditate on the Lord for a moment. Just give us just a few more minutes here. Obviously, as always, I would ask firstly, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? That's the first step. The Bible says that if you have, you can be assured of that. And hopefully this message as we've gone through the word here, hopefully that helps you some. But have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you chosen to make the decision to be crucified with Christ? doesn't mean you're perfect. That means you're working every day to renew your mind, renew your soul. You're trying every day to be a little more like Jesus. Or are you in a place in your life where maybe you have received Jesus, but he's certainly not first. And let me say, if you're at a place in your life where you are blatantly, unapologetically living a life that's contrary to the word of God, I would encourage you to get your life right with him today. Normally I, normally I lead everybody in a prayer, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I want to do it a little differently. I'm going to give those who feel like they need to rededicate their life, I'm going to give you that opportunity. And in just a few minutes, I'm just going to encourage you to open up your heart and make a lasting decision. And I'm going to have you pray to yourself just quietly, but you're going to be praying to the Lord and you're just going to talk to him. You're just going to say something like, God, I realize I can't make it without you. I realize that my flesh has dominated my life, my soul, and I need to be made new. 
I need to be that new creation. I've been away from you. And you're just going to tell them, Lord, I, today I surrender my life. I give my life to Jesus. I recognize that he paid the penalty for sin. He paid it for me. So today I dedicate my life to him. You'll just tell him, Lord, I want you to be my master. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. But as we do that, I want everybody to look inside for just a few minutes. I want you to examine your heart. Maybe you've been a believer your whole life. Maybe you followed Jesus. Maybe you have daily quiet time. You get in the Word. But we all have areas in our lives where we're prodigal. Areas that we have to deal with, and man, we just don't want to sometimes. We've got to make that decision. When you came in, you should have gotten communion elements. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. We're going to go into one last worship song. But I want everybody in just a minute, as we worship together, just as we're seated, we worship together, and you examine your heart. If you need to surrender your life to Jesus, I want you to pray that prayer. I want you to talk to him. If you recognize that you haven't been living for him, I want you to talk to him. I want you to meditate on him. Allow him to point out areas in your life that need change. And I want all of us to dedicate ourselves to him again, afresh and anew today. And as we sing that last song, as we worship together, I want you to take those communion elements. I want you to take that bread. And as, as you do that, I want you to remember his body that was broken. He was sinless. He didn't deserve it. But his body was torn and it was ripped and it was broken for you. And as you take the cup, I want you to remember his blood that was poured out and spilled in your place. That blood that is in heaven today, that sits on the altar, that says that you are innocent. One that covers all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt. I want you to take that cup and remember it as you drink it. If you feel the need, I would encourage you as we sing this, you can come down to the altar if you want to. But guys, we've got to quit looking at self and we've got to quit looking around us. We've got to start looking at Jesus. We've got to start looking at the people he brings along our path every day. We've got to stop looking inwardly. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.